Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Coming up on today's episode, a really fascinating deep dive into the food that Ukraine grows and the impact the war is having on food right around the world and on the, what we're going to be able to buy in supermarkets here in the UK. So we're going to hear from the head of the biggest grain producer in Ukraine. We've got the Environment Secretary, George Eustace, talking about what the UK government is doing, particularly concerns that some countries might start hoarding food and inevitably it'll be the poorest countries that end up being hardest hit. We'll also hear from a farmer as well uh, to see what she's uh, got to say about how farmers are adapting. It might be good they're getting more money for their grain, but all their costs are going up as well. And ultimately, I think we're all going to end up paying the price in the shops. So really fascinating. Ukraine, that's what we're calling the feature. Uh, that's coming up in just a moment. As ever, though, we kick off on a Thursday with our columnist panel, and they're back. It's India Knight and James Marriott. So, James, uh, you're back. You've been to Paris. You've come back. No, no, no macaroons. No, I've just been told off um, um, by everyone on Times Radio that I didn't. I didn't even think. I actually did eat a macaroon, but selfishly, it was just one late at myself. Was it one left? Was it a free one left in your hotel rather than one that you bought? No, I actually, I actually went and bought it in a very expensive macaroon shop uh, near the Louvre, and it cost me two euros fifty, uh, just and it wasn't worth it. It seemed, just it seemed excessive macaroon. to get more than one. That is admirable restraint. <laughs> I'd have gone for the full on. Would you like a box of 24? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it was about 100, 100 euros in that macaroon shop. I was disgusted. Wow. And what about you? Have you been away? Any, any holiday you want to share with the class? No, no, there was no holiday. My um, oh. daughter's grandma died. Um, so that's why I was off last week. Oh, Nothing. Sorry. No, 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 no macaroon. It's nice to have you both back uh, now. Um, let's start with, because, you know, we, we talk, spent so long talking about uh, bad news. Let's start with some nice news. Obviously, the return of uh, Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe and Anusha Shuri. And I just wonder why, why you both... It's, it, it's one of these stories which has caught the public imagination. I don't know if it's particularly Nazanin, because Richard Ratcliffe has done so much to keep it in the in the headlines but it, it, it's it's just struck a chord with so many people hasn't it India? well i think we're all desperate 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 for for good news um but yes it really has struck a chord because there were so many moments where it looked like it might almost happen and then the fact that it didn't particularly last summer i'm thinking of just made you it was it, it just it just made you think it's never going to happen this poor man you know this man who's on hunger strike and who's 
spending his devoting his entire life to the cause of the freedom of his wife is, is going to it, it's not it's not going to work or it's going to become even more protracted or it's going to take another six years so it's really really joyful i was so interested to hear you talk to um to terry wait i found it really moving actually um and i was really interested in what he said about um uh, living in Cambridge for half the week when he came back because the the burden of expectation is so high, isn't it? She 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 everybody's going to be expecting her and even possibly her own immediate family to be to feel nothing but joy and gratitude. And I imagine it's more complicated than that. You know, reintroducing yourself into the known world that you haven't known for over half a decade. Um, I, but I, yeah. I, I, People do change, you know, and, and, and clearly she, to get through the last few years, she'll have had to adjust and, you know, just to, to sort of survive as much as anything. And I know, um, James, I know what it's like. If I go away for a week for work, I come home sometimes. Like, oh, oh, we're doing it like that now, are we, yeah. in this house? Um, uh, never mind, sort of five, four, five, six years. I mean, clearly they're absolutely thrilled that Nazanin's been back, but hopefully um, they'll now get a bit of time, James, to adjust away from the spotlight yeah i mean i thought it was interesting the um the richard ratcliffe quote he said that she was going to spend her first day back or her first sort of days back learning to be happy again which just i mean obviously it's a horrendous experience to go through and as india says it's kind of dislocating to be back in normal life when you ha it must be quite isolating to have had this awful horrible experience for years i mean the stuff she kind of went through in those iranian prisons it just kind of no no one you know has had those experiences you've been living a completely different life completely other general run of things and i just wonder how on earth what how on earth you managed to kind of get back into sort of suddenly having a quite kind of ordinary humdrum life again among people who for whom the experiences you've been through are just completely alien and literally i think we just can't even imagine them it must just be the sort of strangest i mean i hope happy but also just so bizarre and disconnecting yeah, I hope I think she gets it's... huge amounts of. She, she, you know, I hope she gets really, really top-notch professional support because it's 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 just an impossible thing to navigate. You know, emerging from trauma is is not a thing that you fix just by being in a different place and thinking the sun is shining. It's time for me to feel cheerful. You know, so yeah, yeah. I'm sure she will get lots of help. I'm sure she will, and that was one of the things that Terry White said that you know, just talking with professionals and and I suppose actually being able to sort of voice anger and concern or frustration not at your loved ones but with others i also thought it was just really funny him saying that when he he was taken hostage emails didn't exist and he merged into a world full of emails yeah i mean it's mad isn't it um and you know and when you think what's happened in the last six years the whole i mean britain has changed quite a lot in the last six we were still in the european union uh yeah. for example you know so much has happened so much has happened it's extraordinary so well, we wish her. We of course uh, wish her well. We wish her, wish her, and, and wish well. Um, James, let's let's talk about your column. Uh, <laughs> you've written, you've tried to tackle the culture wars today, um, uh, but you've, you're sort of pointing out that the things maybe it's been a bit of a luxury. The things that we've we've become obsessed about the 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 the, the small battles of the culture war have been slightly dwarfed by the realities of an actual war yeah i was sort of thinking because um you know i kind of tend to write about sort of this culture and society stuff and you know watching the kind of news from ukraine over the last few weeks and i've just been thinking this feels like a really big thing for everyone for everyone watching it i feel like it's something that will change us just the immediacy of it which i think has not really been something it's been possible to experience with any with any previous war you know you go you go onto twitter you go onto you know facebook or whatever and there were just 
videos and pictures and you know personal messages from people in the midst of this war zone and i just kind of think surely somehow this is going to change us i think for me it feels sort of psychologically bigger than the pandemic did or any of the kind of other crises of the last of the last few years and i guess the thing that sort of um the thing that stuck out for me was that you know looking at the news scrolling through twitter how to how sort of totally absurd a lot of the kind of petty factional disputes that we've been sort of endlessly roiling through over the last few years seem when you know you scroll down you know from someone sort of banging on about some kind of cultural topic and the next post is you know russian protesters in, um for free speech in moscow or you know um a bombed out city in ukraine and i just i don't know i sort of wondering slash hoping whether this will give us back our kind of our sense of perspective again after the horrible sort of you know brexit wars statue wars all these sort of things just you know all the stuff that divides us perhaps now seems quite petty what do you think india do you think it will have that effect or do you think we'll, we'll quickly find a way to get back to fighting pointless fights talking endlessly about ourselves um and our, and our terrible <laughs> woes yeah um uh, I hope James is right. That would be really fantastic. I think there's certainly that sort of feeling in the air. I mean, I don't know. I veer constantly all the time, as I think do lots of people of my generation, uh, between thinking, oh, these charming young people want the world to be more fair and equal, and that is admirable and perhaps even laudable, and thinking, oh, my God, you whining babies. Look at the, re- <laughs> look at the state of the world. Look at the state of the world take your head out from inside your own bottom and just, you know, appreciate what you have instead of this nimini pimini sort of pathetic (laughs) nitpicky whining. So, um, you know, you know, you don't need a trigger warning on your copy of Macbeth. You don't, you know, grow up. Um, And I think particularly actually in Ukraine, you see it with the heroic behavior of, of the heroic actions of um, so many people fighting who are barely more than children, you know, and who are literally laying down their life while somebody on Twitter whines on that they feel anxious because they stubbed their toe or something, or, or somebody stubbed their toe and it made it triggered. The, I, I don't know. It's, it's um, yeah, I hope James <laughs> is right. I hope James is right. And I hope it kind of recalibrates people's sense of what matter, what, what truly matters and what doesn't. But I think it's quite optimistic in the long term yes well we hope i mean you know, there's nothing wrong with being optimistic it's been really surprising so this morning we've been i've been asking people to send in things that they would ban because there's this story in um denmark where they're going to ban people born in 2010 and after from smoking and it's sort of generational shift so then from evermore that you know smoking will be but presumably it's the ultimate aim of of phasing out smoking altogether and i've been asking people to be t- tweeting and texting and some of them are lots of fun and ban tiktok and smashed avocado and poached eggs or whatever and then other people are ban making up new pronouns and part of me just thinks god a lot is that the only thing you the thing that sort of gets you up in the morning is just to be crossing about something which doesn't really exist but people love to be furious about things that they've sort of read about but never actually personally encountered you know, in fact, you see it a lot in rural communities with um, in terms of immigration. You know, they've never actually met any immigrants, but they just don't like the idea of them. Um, it's 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 for some for a section of society, you know, waking up furious is kind of the point of life. Very strange. I'd ban them. <laughs> what would you ban, James, for future generations? Uh, suits. I had to wear a suit for the first mm. time since the beginning of the pandemic last week. 
And I was just like, what a completely pointless way to dress. I didn't like it at all. Um, except, except I think women quite envy suits because if you have to look smart, it's really simple. You go to your cupboard, you get out your suit, you get out a shirt and you look smart and you, and everybody knows what you're signifying and it's done. If you're a woman, it's a kind of endless series of choices, each more sort of confusing than the rest. There's something very neat about, you know, there's something really straightforward about a suit i am wearing a suit because i look smart yeah and well abolish that. abolish that unfair advantage i say um, yes that is anyway i don't i don't i don't i don't i don't i don't look smart in a suit everyone everyone always thinks i'm 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 a waiter or something i always look very uh, <laughs> i always look very kind of you know what? actually it's weird it's weird because i've spent what the last fifth well, no, in fact, i realize it's 20 years i've been a journalist so basically for 20 years i've been wearing a suit up until the pandemic when it's you know and, and going on the radio where you could be a bit more like but i'm still wearing a suit Suit to do the stand-up show so it's now become a sort of costume rather well, it's than a armor uniform slightly, i think it's yeah. just like you know what you're you know where you are when you're in the suit I mean, yeah you know, it's, it's, it's it suit, communicates but... something so much immediately of yeah. like, i'm in charge here i've made an effort this is a show I know what I'm doing. all of that you know, yeah. it's a tartan suit so it's like it's smart but also a bit fun nice. um yeah yeah well I we won't ban tartan suits we got it i didn't know there was such a thing but we can keep tartan suits <laughs> India Night and James Merritt then. Of course, you can read them both in The Times and The Sunday Times every week. Just go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, we take a deep dive into Ukraine. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. Ukraine is known as the breadbasket of Europe. But what happens when war with Russia means everyone is scrambling for the crumbs? 
At this time of year, Ukrainian farmers would be sowing this year's harvest. Instead, many of their workers have gone to the front line and their land has become a battlefield. Just a few days ago, President Zelensky urged Ukrainians to plant as much as they could, even in the midst of the conflict. Across our entire territory this spring, as much as any spring, we must make a full-fledged sowing campaign. As much as possible, it depends on people and situations. Because it is about life. Life is important. It is about our life, our dreams, our future, and hence our victory. That was President Zelensky speaking a few days ago. Well, the growing of, of grain is big, big business. A third of the world's grain comes from Ukraine and Russia. That means that last year's harvest is not going to be exported, and it means this year's harvest isn't being planted. As a result, since Russia invaded Ukraine three weeks ago, the price of wheat has reached record highs. Ukraine has banned all exports of wheat and other key crops to ensure they can at least try and feed their own population. But the problem is that around the world, at least 50 countries depend on Russia and Ukraine for 30% or more of their wheat supply. Now, although the UK doesn't uh, import directly a huge amount from Ukraine and Russia, a global shortage of grain will drive up places around the world, including here. And the effects will be worse in places who rely most on Ukraine for direct exports. Places like Lebanon, Somalia, Syria, Libya. Uh, some of the already poorest parts of the world are going to be hit by price rises and food shortages. Last year, the UN World Food Programme bought just under 1.4 million of tonnes of wheat. And 70% of that came from Ukraine and Russia. That's food programmes designed to help the hungriest people in the world. Well, the UN Food and Agriculture Organization warned this week the world's facing a potential food crisis and famine across large parts of the Middle East and Africa. It's not just wheat either. Russia and Ukraine are also major producers and exporters of fertilizer. Russia's put exports on, uh, put restrictions on exports of fertilizer, pushing the price up to around a thousand pounds for every ton, and that fertilizer feeds into the costs of the food that we buy. Here in the UK, Greg's, Hovis, Domino's Pizzas, loads of big names, all issuing warnings about the impact on prices. In a moment, we'll speak to George Eustace, the Environment Secretary, to find out the British government's response to the fact that our food bills are about to go up an awful lot. But first, let's go to Ukraine. Dr John Rich is the chair of the MHP, which is the Ukraine, uh, Ukraine's biggest grain producer. And joins me now. Hi, John. Yes, good morning. Just explain for us just the size of the uh, grain industry in Ukraine and the impact of what has happened in the past three weeks. OK, well, basically last year, uh, Ukraine produced approximately 80 million tonnes of grains in total for human consumption as well as for animal feed consumption. Normalised, normally we would produce around about 60 to 65 million tonnes, but last year was a particularly good season. But you've got to remember that in this particular case, uh, around about 25% of the global wheat supply comes from the region, including uh, southern Russia, around about 50% of uh, sunflower oil and around about 20% of rapeseed oil. And then when you look at the other issues to do with animal feed production, 27% of barley is another very large contribution to the European grain supply. So, yes, uh, as you have depicted in the preamble, it is deadly accurate. We have a serious crisis there. 
And is it is it right to sort of characterise it as all of that grain, which would normally find its way onto the global markets, just isn't going to be there this year? Is anything getting out? Well, there's two issues, right? Firstly, off the back of a huge harvest, we haven't started to export much because now all the ports are closed. So in storage is a large proportion of what was produced last year. This obviously uh, gives us a logistical challenge for this year. But the actual situation in Ukraine today, when you look at all the larger companies such as ours, we actually do have all the seeds, all the fuel, all the fertiliser in storage to not only uh, produce the winter wheat crops, but also sow for the summer crops. So technically, as we stand today, if there are no major changes in the current uh, war, then it is possible that we can all sow where you can sow. Now, in our particular case, we have around about 10, 12% of our lands. We have we farm around about a million acres a year. Uh, but of, of that, 10%, 12% is currently uh, in the red zones, which means they're occupied by Russian forces. But at present, we have to sow within the next two to three weeks. And so the next two to three weeks is critical in giving everybody a clear idea of where grain markets supply might go but still as you mentioned before there are export bans obviously both in Russia as well as Ukraine and how that uh, morphs out we're not exactly sure but the first and foremost thing is that small farmers in Ukraine they need finance they need uh, fertilizers they need fuel and the logistical challenges of being able to do that are huge because a lot of infrastructure is already destroyed, bridges, roads and whatever. So it's exactly how much is going to be produced. We're not sure at present. Uh, but in the eastern zones, of course, that's no man's land. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Um, how uh, difficult is it in practical terms, even if you're not in what you call the red zones, to actually... Uh, how safe is it, I suppose, to be out and sowing crops? And also, how, are, are presumably lots of the farmers and their workers may have gone and joined up to fight for Ukraine. So what, is there, is there the, uh, a labour shortage issue as well? Look, actually, it's very interesting. Um, had you asked me that question two weeks ago about labour, I would have said, yes, this is becoming a problem. However, what's happened is a large number of industries have closed, and so there's been what I call a redistribution of, of labour. So people that are outside of the uh, outside of what I call the age group for the defence forces are still able to be able to drive tractors. In other words, people above 60 years of age, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I actually think at present we will not encounter a major labour shortage in relation to the planting of the crops. But what I do foresee for all of the Ukrainian uh, farmers is significant logistical challenges in being able to plant the crops and get them out of the ground and store them. I mean, in some of our colleagues that have operations in the east, it's extremely difficult because uh, up to 80% of their lands are currently occupied. And some of those lands, uh, the, the access to those, those lands have been mined. So, you know, you can see that this is a huge issue as well. Mm. And um, when you talk about storage, how, for just people who don't know, how how long can you keep? You said you know, there's a bumper crop last year. A lot of that's in storage now. It can't be exported. Right how long will it keep for before that crop is ruined? Okay, well, look, let's look at it this way. As far as uh, wheat and corn or whatever, it's it's a long period of time. And all these storages in Ukraine are, are pretty modern. So as long as you have... Uh, 
ventilation systems to keep them cool, etc., then there's not a problem. However, the big issue will be sunflower seed storage because sunflower seed is highly polyunsaturated and so not as stable. So that has a problem in long-term storage, particularly if that storage is compromised uh, with electricity failures. So there's a bit of a problem with sunflower storage, albeit not yet, but, uh, but with other grains, there are no, I don't see any significant issues as long as they don't fall under Russian forces control. And uh, just finally, um, I suppose if you're if you're a grain producer, actually the big spike, as long as you can get it out and sell it, the big spike in uh, in value is, is is not a bad thing. How what how 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 long do you think this crisis will last? How how high will prices go? And what would that mean for for shoppers? Do you think? Okay, I think the key issue for everybody at present is the block blockading of the Black Sea ports. Just remember that we export millions and millions of tonnes through those ports. I mean, our operations export between, well, not export, but produce in total around about two and a half to three million tonnes a year just in one company alone. Um, the problem is logistics. And, of course, for our company, which is also one of the, the six largest uh, poultry exporter of the world, same logistical problems. You can't get them out through the ports and neither will people insure the ships. So then logistics is all about uh, rail, the six or seven rail links between, uh, between Ukraine and Europe. And their capacity at present is probably only around about 600,000 tonnes, according to the Ukrainian rail directors. So, you know, there's a huge issue in logistics, uh, let alone the, a war going on where, where logistics is being targeted. So, yes, I reckon that it's going to be a pretty tough gig uh, for 2022 and for all the reasons that you've elucidated earlier in the, in the interview. And John, are you in Ukraine still? I... No, no, I'm, I'm based in uh, UMHP's headquarters in Slovenia um, where we, we're running the day-to-day operations, to, particularly with uh, public relations, corporate governance. We're listed on the London yeah. Stock Exchange, you know, as well as uh, all our finance operations are operating here because MHP has quite a large uh, non-Ukrainian business as well, uh, but the, uh, but very good communication with the, the Ukrainian. Uh, we have twenty-seven thousand people on the ground there, but there in that particular instance, the prime thing that we have to do there is a humanitarian aid operation. Hundred yeah. percent of our production is is to feed the Ukrainian people, and that's critical. Well, John, it's really good to speak to you. I mean, this is one thing we've seen in recent days with the towing of tanks and all sorts as well they're a, they're a good strong lot the ukrainian farmers so we, we wish all of your people um the best and hope they they stay safe dr john rich thanks very much for joining us uh, let's speak to george eustace now he's the secretary of state for environment food and rural affairs uh, morning george good morning um, i know you've been working with some g7 uh, farming ministers on this already uh, looking at the impact of uh of of the the fact that grain can't get out of ukraine countries can't buy it from russia is clearly driving up prices massively how how bad is this going to get do you think well look it's um it's difficult to predict but we we are seeing quite a lot of turbulence uh, as you'd expect on agricultural commodity prices um they are closely correlated to the gas price and always have been and so what we're seeing at the moment is um the wheat price you know, is really running at the moment at, at around double its sort of three or five year average. So a significant increase. And this will feed through to um, some increases in cost of production, particularly on uh, poultry, some of the, the chicken farms and pigs as well. Uh, and that's going to sort of filter through to some uh, consumer impacts. Difficult to assess how much. Uh, and then, of course, um, 
we've got some other more direct uh, issues such as sunflower oil, uh, around 25% of, uh, of our sunflower oil uh, supply has, has tended to come from Ukraine, a similar amount on rapeseed oil as well. So some impacts there on some of those sectors. Um, but overall, the, um, the impact is going to be mainly on price rather than supply. We are working with the World Food Programme because there are some countries that are much more dependent on uh, grain in particular coming from Russia uh, and Ukraine. And the important thing to note is that um, you know, even before this war, uh, the, the, the wheat crop, uh, overwintered wheat crop in Russia was not in a very good position because they had lower levels of snow in the winter and hard frosts with it, which had uh, destroyed some of the crops. So the, the, the Russian crop was already not in a good place before um, any of this turbulence started. Uh, and what sort of what 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 policy response can you you make to this? Is is there a, a drive to to plant? I mean, we were talking uh, about you know how Ukrainian farmers were still planning to you know they're trying to get as much in the ground as they could over the next couple of weeks, albeit essentially in a war zone. Is there a push for for British farmers to get more crops in the ground this spring to try and offset some of the the impacts of of what we're seeing? Well, most of our um, our wheat in this country is, uh, is is winter wheat. It's a winter variety. It was sown last autumn. Uh, you know, on a positive side, the UK crop uh, is looking in, in very good shape at the moment. It's had uh, a winter that's been conducive to, to good crop production. Uh, although farmers have seen the cost of fertiliser go up because, you know, the overall price of wheat is now, you know, double what it normally is. Um, they'll be able to afford that fertiliser. Most of them already have it bought and on farm ready to go. So the UK crop for this current season is in good shape. It's also important to note that we, we contribute and work with a lot of other major producers around the world to ensure that markets remain open. And the most important thing that the world has to do now when you have this sort of disruption is ensure that the, the world's grain supply, and there are millions of tonnes of uh, grain in storage in countries around the world, that we keep markets open so that we can move grain uh, around and ensure we get it to the places that it's needed. Uh, and this is particularly important for some of the countries in you know, North Africa in particular, some of whom have been heavily dependent on, on Russian grain. The worst uh, thing that the world could do is to turn in on itself and start putting in place export bans. Uh, one or two countries uh, did, but um, uh, the good news is that, uh, that the large serious producers uh, like ourselves, the European Union uh, and the United States and Australia and so on, uh, they're, they're absolutely committed to, to keeping open markets and open trade. Uh, do, I mean, ultimately, if, if we don't have the Ukrainian and the, and the Russian supplies, that, that just creates a, a, a massive shortfall. And I suppose there's always a risk that it is going to be the poorest countries in the world who will bear the brunt of that. Well, the, the one thing to, to note is that um, Ukraine, uh, it, it's, they've shown such determination uh, as a country. We're, we're all uh, you know, humbled by the absolute bravery of the Ukrainian army. But also uh, at that G7 meeting, we had a presentation uh, from um, uh, Yeoman uh, Lyshensky, who uh, is my opposite number, the farming minister there. Uh, he's absolutely uh, still committed to trying to get the Ukrainian spring crop sown. Um, and were, was asking for help to try to, to get some additional diesel supplies because most of theirs is reserved at the moment for uh, the Ukrainian army. And they are absolutely intent on, on still trying to sow that crop, despite the difficulties, uh, particularly in, in the western part uh, of Ukraine. Uh, and so we'll be uh, looking to see if we can uh, support that any way that we, we can. Uh, it's also important to note that in the short term, the months ahead, the crop is already in store. And so although there are some 
stranded assets now in Ukraine, um, some, some uh, quantities of grain that are in storage in Ukraine that obviously can't now come out through the Black Sea. There are um, grain stores elsewhere around the world. And what we'll be looking at next is to ensure that those can be replenished through the, the forthcoming crop. And all eyes at the moment are really on the, the US uh, Midwest crop, making sure that that uh, uh, gets a good start and is sown on time uh, and is in good shape, because that could be you know, very important for supply later, uh, you know, later this year and into next year. And then on a sort of, you know, on the consumer angle right here in the UK, we're hearing lots of reports about how, and obviously it's not just the, the grain price, price of fertiliser, price of petrol and diesel and gas all going up. That's all feeding through. There's one company this week, Two Sisters, said the price they're paying for chicken has risen by 50%. They were saying food prices overall could rise by 15% this year. How worried are you as a sort of British cabinet minister that, that thousands of people are going to, perhaps tens, hundreds of thousands of people, are going to really struggle over the next few weeks with with buying food, you know, the choice between heating and eating. And then, you know, ultimately we end up seeing food banks being overwhelmed. Is that is that a real concern that you have? Well, look, it, it's always been the case that the, that the biggest pressure on household uh, budgets uh, is, um, you know, housing costs and uh, and also fuel costs. And so the very sharp rises that we're seeing in fuel costs is is the number one challenge, really, on the cost of living. And I know that Kwasi Kwarteng is very focused on that. And obviously, uh, Rishi Sunak's already uh, announced a package of, of measures to try to help households with that cost. There will be some impacts on, on food prices. It's difficult to um, predict exactly how much at the moment across the board. But for instance, the IGD, the Institute of Grocery uh, distribution. Uh, they have done some work assessing that it might go to around six to eight percent uh, by the summer, and that's up from around four or five percent now. There are others I think it might go a little bit higher than that. So th- there are going to be uh, some price increases. I think that's uh, inevitable. We're watching it very closely, and obviously we, as a government, uh, are doing all that we can to try to help households with with these um, increased costs that they've got, particularly on the energy front. Um, given all of that, the price of food, the price of fertilizer, fuel, gas, petrol, and everything else, um, would you would it would it not make sense not to put up national insurance in the next few weeks? Wait until we've got through this crisis before doing that. Well, look, these are um, decisions that that we've taken because we've also got other big problems uh, that really can't be put off, including getting the NHS back on its feet, having been through the uh, you know the horrors of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, catching up with all those, um, you know, waiting lists of other operations that were put to one side during the pandemic. So there's a there's a big task uh, to do, uh, getting the NHS back on its feet and also tackling that uh, long-standing challenge around um, care homes and care in old age and making sure that's on a sustainable footing. But we've also, it's important to bear in mind, just, just about to increase the national um, living wage to £9.50 an hour, a significant increase of 60 pence an hour to £9.50 from April, uh, that will give those households on the lowest income some respite. George Eustace, really appreciate your time today. Uh, George Eustace is the Secretary of State for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, giving us his his take on this uh, situation. It's tough times coming down the road for uh, all of us, I think, when it comes to buying uh, food. Uh, normally, If the price of grain was going up, that would be good news for farmers. But a time when everything else is going up, fertilisers and fuel and so on, uh, it's really putting on the squeeze. Abby Reader is from the National Farmers Union, is deputy president of uh, the the, uh, NFU Cymru. Hi, Abby. Morning, Mark. Um, how, How are things looking for farmers right now? 
Well, at the moment, we're seeing significant increases in our input costs. So price of fertilizer has gone up over 200 percent. Price of animal feeds has gone up 60 percent. Um, some people are struggling to get fuel when you can get fuel. Um, the price has almost doubled in a fortnight. So, yeah, it's causing quite significant challenges, really, on farms. And when you say uh, the price of animal feeds got up 60 percent, to what extent does that feed through then to the price of meat we might buy in the shops? Well, it's really difficult to say. So as farmers, we can't set we don't set the price uh, at which food is sold, um, sold for. We can't even control our, our input prices. Um, so it's difficult to see how this is going to make its way through the supply chain. But equally, it does make me concerned that somewhere along the line, these costs have got to be recognised and absorbed. And, and I suppose that the issue is then if 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 you're farming, you're, you, you know, you're buying the feed, that's gone up by 60 percent over the past two years. Do you then when you sell that uh, meat into, you know, to the supermarket, presumably the supermarkets aren't saying, well, I can recognise you've got much higher costs. So I will help you out there. Um, is, is all this cost currently being borne by the farmer? Um, at the moment, it feels feels a lot like it is. I mean, again, it's going to take a while to filter through the supply chain. We are starting to see, for example, um, um, I produce milk. We're starting to see those prices that we're being paid going up. They're not going up nearly enough to keep pace with um, our input costs. So there are a lot of people struggling there at the minute, and I can guarantee there are plenty of farmers selling at a loss. I think my biggest concern or the the, the industry's biggest concern is we're likely to see um, a risk of crisis of confidence, really, in farms. If we can't afford these input costs, then we will cut back on production to try and deal with it. And that is the that is the concern that I, you know, we need to keep an eye on and we need to monitor this quite closely. And just talking to George Eustace there and you know, talking about the price of grain and he, he was making the point that, that we, we mostly grow a, the winter, the winter, um, is it winter maize? Uh, winter maize, winter wheat we grow in this country winter as wheat. well, winter barley, yep. And so there's not a lot that farmers can do right now to try and increase that supply. Do you think that if I mean, if this Russia-Ukraine situation continues, will we start to see a shift in what British farmers produce? Yeah, I think it's the case. We need to be ready to, to respond to this. Um, but what we probably should be aware of is whatever we can produce here in the UK, it's probably not even going to touch the sides in terms of what what can be produced in Ukraine. I mean, they have got 25% of the world's best soils. Um, they can grow incredibly efficient, very economic crops. Whereas if we look here in the UK, our strength is growing protein. So we're, we're livestock based, based industry. And we're very good at doing that. So it's trying to marry those things up. But absolutely, there are things that we can do. Um, and we really need to look to government now to help us set up some sort of market monitoring core group to make sure we can spot these problems before they hit us and try and uh, waylay them, try and avoid them, whatever we can do. We've really got to get ourselves organised here. That's all we've got time for on today's episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. And you can listen via the Times Radio app. Catch me Monday to Friday, 10 till 1, live on Times Radio. And if you want to come on and play the hugely popular quiz, can you get to number 10? Email me your details, matt.chorley at times.radio, and we'll get you on very soon. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 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 Mm